0: welcome listeners but take heed we will say whatever we need to share our knowledge thoughts and joy and even things that do annoy so join us now but be aware we have a tendency to swear we'll dial it back a little bit but frankly we don't give a shit
1: welcome to just keep rolling a harry potter book movie compare and contrast podcast I'm Katie, that's Ellen, and we are
0: the highlight of your week. At least we hope we are. Please love us. And before this gets any creepier, let's just keep rolling into the Rolling Rehash. Last week we covered the second half of Chapter 30 and the corresponding film scenes. Harry was told to take caution to not end up a dead pussy. Dumbledore showed his favorite student how to properly pack a bowl. Neville's Dirty Laundry was aired, but not by him. Karkaroff got caught showing some skin. Snape took the cover off his veiled threat to poison his least favorite student. And someone has been stealing potions ingredients for polyjuice, but for once, it's not the golden trio. During episode 104, Professor's Pretty Petty,
1: our Potter pondering was... Now that we've gotten to this part of the movie, where Snape is specifically talking about the things Harry stole out of his private stores, do you still think Neville didn't steal the gillyweed?
2: Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. We all know that the movies are not even canon. Yep, I said it. But for the sake of our wonderful podcast, I'm going to pretend that it is. And with this, you know, imagination I got going on here yeah yeah after seeing that scene we're gonna just say Neville he robbed the shit out of Snape he put on his big boy Gryffindor panties and was like "Man, I told me I had to save my boy I got this I'm going in here in the middle of the night undercover you hear me I'm robbing the shit out I'm taking stuff I don't even need just to piss him off for a bit of revenge yeah gangster Neville (laughs) gangster Longbottom I can't even get it out But just a little addition to this pondering, I want to say that I really kind of like this scene with Snape, you know, because the movies took so much away from Snape, made him a little more palatable for moviegoers because they took a whole lot of the slimy evil shit Snape did out of the books for the movies. And this right here is definitely slimy, grimy, evil, stanky Snape, like, boy, I'm going to drug you. I'm going to drug you when you ain't looking. That's how I know you lying. Quit fuck with me, little boy. That was definitely how Snape was feeling right there. And that gave me all the slimy, grimy Snape energy I needed. Yes. And you know why he had that energy? Because Neville pissed him off. I agree. Hi, it's
3: the Support Badger here. I am calling to respond to this week's Potter Pondering. Whether or not I think, now that we've gotten to that part, if Neville stole the Gillyweed or not. I don't think that Neville stole it. I still don't think he stole it because I think that fake Moody stole it because he's trash. And I think he probably gave it to Neville, which, you know, his cheating is outstanding. He goes all these other links. I just don't – I don't see Neville doing something like that, especially stealing from a teacher that he's terrified of. I think that Moody, fake Moody, stole it and gave it to Neville and told him that it would be useful. But maybe Roundabout gave it to him. I don't know, you know, because Neville wouldn't be like, oh, I'll just take this thing that's cheating. No, that's not Neville's personality. Which is also why I don't think he stole it. So I think that maybe Moody, fake Moody, gave it to him. You know, he knew what was coming. So I think he probably gave it to him maybe at the beginning of the year or something after he stole it from Snape. Because then it would still make sense that he stole it and that it would be missing. But not necessarily that Neville took it. So there's that. I think Neville's a good person. So not that stealing constitutes being a bad person. But... I think that Neville would be too scared to steal from the teacher, like his literal worst fear. So that's all. Bye, guys.
0: Hey, Katie. Hey, Ellen. It's Jackson. So, yeah, I mean, as I said in my last pot of pondering, I don't think that Neville took it and... And Snape saying the boomsling skin and lacewing flies, for me, that confirms that Neville himself didn't take it. That, yeah, he came up with the idea through the book, but I reckon he had Moody steal it for him. Well, Crouch Moody, whatever.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I think.
0: Thank you so much for calling in your responses. Don't forget, you can also post answers on our Facebook page too. We really love reading them. And hearing them. Mm-hmm.
1: Our trivia question last week was, How many points are Harry and Cedric tied in first place with going into the third and final task? Harry and Cedric both have 85 points.
0: Congratulations goes to... Mike Riley! Woohoo! He was not about to let Jackson catch up to his streak, though... I was wrong, and the top streak is, held by Mike, at 11 weeks, not nine.
1: Well, come on, Ellen. You had one job.
0: Do you want to run this podcast? No. Carry on. I think I'm allowed to mess up every now and then. Because it's going to happen.
1: All right. I'll give you this one.
0: But congratulations, Mike. Great job. Wonder if you're going to keep this one going and try and break your own record. We shall see.
1: For now, let's just keep rolling into the first half of Chapter 31, the third task,
0: and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 31, The Third Task, Part 1. Harry tells Ron and Hermione about everything that he saw in the pensive, and after sending a letter to Sirius as well, They now sit up late into the night talking it over until Harry understands what Dumbledore meant about a head becoming so full of thoughts it would be a relief to siphon them off. Ron is scared that Dumbledore also reckons you-know-who is getting stronger and can't believe that he trusts Snape even though he knows he was a Death Eater. Hermione, who has been sitting in silence with her forehead in her hands for the past 10 minutes, finally just mutters, Rita Skeeter. Ron doesn't understand how she can worry about her now, and Hermione explains that she isn't. She just wonders if that's what Rita meant in The Three Broomsticks, about knowing things about Ludo Bagman that would make her hair curl. Plus, Winky also said Ludo Bagman's a bad wizard. Ron reminds her that Bagman didn't pass the information on purpose, and when Hermione shrugs, he turns back to Harry and reiterates that Fudge reckons Madame Maxime attacked Crouch. Harry confirms this, but also points out that he only said that because Crouch disappeared near the Boboton's carriage. Ron considers Maxime, bringing up the fact that she definitely has giant blood and doesn't want to admit it, but Hermione cuts him off to defend her, reminding them what happened to Hagrid when Rita found out about his mother. She then looks at her watch and is appalled to see the time and realize they haven't done any practicing. She tells them that they will really have to work on it the next day and ushers Harry off to get some sleep. Up in the boys' dormitory, Harry looks over at Neville's bed. As he promised Dumbledore, he didn't mention Neville's parents to Ron or Hermione, but as he climbs into bed himself, he imagines how it must feel to have parents still living but unable to recognize you. Harry gets a lot of sympathy for being an orphan, but he can't help thinking that Neville deserves it more than he does. He feels a rush of hatred towards the people who tortured Mr. and Mrs. Longbottom, and remembers the jeers of the crowd as the Dementors dragged Crouch's son and his companions away. With a jolt, he also remembers that the screaming boy died just a year later, and as he falls asleep, he concludes that it's all Voldemort's fault that lives were ruined and families were torn apart. Though Hermione and Ron are supposed to be studying for their exams, they are putting more effort into helping Harry prepare for the third task. When he points this out to them, Hermione is unconcerned, sure that they will at least get top points in defense against the Dark Arts, which Ron says will be good training for when they're all Aurors. As they reach June, the mood in the castle again shifts towards the tense excitement for the final task. Harry is practicing hexes at every available moment, and for once feels confident about it. Not only is he prepared, but also, Moody's right, and it isn't his first time fighting his way past monstrous creatures and enchanted barriers. Because Professor McGonagall got tired of walking in on the trio practicing, she gave them permission to use her classroom at lunchtimes. Harry soon masters the Impediment Curse, the Reductor Curse, and the Four-Point Spell, though he's still struggling with the Shield Charm. Hermione is pleased with his progress, though, sure that some of those spells are bound to come in handy. Ron interrupts them to point out the window at Malfoy, who is holding his hand up to his mouth and speaking into it. Harry thinks it looks like he's using a walkie-talkie, and Hermione reminds him that those sorts of things don't work around Hogwarts, before insisting they work on the shield charm some more. Sirius is sending daily owls, Reminding Harry to focus on the task and not whatever is happening outside the walls of Hogwarts, which are not his responsibility. As they get closer to June the 24th, Harry becomes more nervous, but nowhere near as bad as the last two tasks. On the morning of the third task, breakfast is a very noisy affair. The post owls arrive, and in addition to the good luck card Harry receives from Sirius, Hermione also gets her morning copy of the Daily Prophet. When she unfolds the paper, she spits her pumpkin juice everywhere, but then immediately tries to pretend it's nothing so she doesn't distract Harry from the task. Ron grabs it and joins in trying to convince Harry that it isn't about him, but their attempts are thwarted when Malfoy shouts from across the Great Hall, wondering how Potter's head is feeling and if he's going to go berserk on them. Harry insists on seeing the article, and when Ron reluctantly hands it to him, he reads the headline, Harry Potter, Disturbed and Dangerous. The article is all about Harry's collapse during divination due to pain in his scar, with specialists insisting that he could be pretending to get attention. And an interview with Draco Malfoy, where he reveals that Potter can speak Parseltongue and implies that he was responsible for the attacks on students a couple years back as well as mentioning that he has befriended werewolves and giants. Rita Skeeter ends the article saying Albus Dumbledore should surely consider whether such a boy should be allowed to compete in the Triwizard Tournament, as some fear that Potter may resort to the dark arts in desperation to win. Harry folds the paper back up, commenting that she's gone a bit off him, and Ron wonders how Skeeter could have known his scar hurt and divination. Harry reminds him that he had the window open, but Hermione points out that he was at the top of the North Tower and there was no way his voice carried all the way down to the grounds. Harry retorts that she's the one who's supposed to be researching magical methods of bugging, and Hermione starts to defend herself before getting a dreamy expression on her face. She runs her hand through her hair, then up to her mouth, and insists she's fine when Ron asks. She says that she has an idea and needs two seconds in the library to make sure, but she's pretty confident that Rita Skeeter is doing something she shouldn't be doing. She runs off as Ron tries to remind her about their History of Magic exam, before turning back to Harry and commenting on how much she must hate that woman to risk missing an exam. He also asks what Harry is going to do during the test, And this question is answered when McGonagall shows up and tells Harry that the champions are meeting in the chamber off the hall after breakfast to greet their families. She walks off and Harry wonders if she actually expects the Dursleys to show up. Ron says he doesn't know, but has to rush off for his exam. As the great hall empties, he watches Fleur, Cedric, and Crumb head into the side chamber. Not having any family who would actually care, he has no desire to go himself, but then Cedric sticks his head out the door and tells Harry that they are waiting for him. He enters the chamber and sees the other champions with their families before noticing Bill and Mrs. Weasley smiling at him. They greet him and mention that Charlie wanted to come too but couldn't get the time off work. Harry notices Fleur eyeing Bill with great interest as he tells the two Weasleys how nice it is for them to come. They talk about how they enjoy being back at Hogwarts and Bill asks Harry to give them a tour. As they walk past Amos Diggory, he makes a comment to Harry about not being as full of himself now that Cedric has caught up to him on points. Harry is confused, and Cedric tells him to ignore his dad, who has been angry since Rita Skeeter's first article made it sound like Harry was the only Hogwarts champion. Mrs. Weasley reminds Amos that Skeeter goes out of her way to cause trouble, and Mrs. Diggory stops her husband from saying something else angry, and they walk away. Harry, Bill, and Mrs. Weasley spend an enjoyable morning walking the grounds, and when Harry asks how Percy is, he learns that he's been hauled in for questioning about the letters Crouch has been sending in. They head back to the Great Hall for lunch and meet up with Ron and Hermione. Mrs. Weasley asks Ron how his exam was and gives Hermione a very chilly hello. Harry casually reminds her that Rita Skeeter writes rubbish and tells her that Hermione is not his girlfriend. Though Mrs. Weasley insists that she didn't believe it, she also becomes considerably warmer towards her after that. Harry, Mrs. Weasley, and Bill then walk around the castle during the afternoon and head back to the Great Hall for the evening feast before the final task. Cornelius Fudge is filling in as the fifth judge, and he and Ludo Bagman are sitting at the staff table. There are more courses than usual, but Harry is too nervous to eat much. When the enchanted ceiling finally starts to fade to a dusky purple, Dumbledore stands and everyone falls quiet. He lets them know that they will be asked to make their way down to the Quidditch field in about five minutes and calls for the champions to follow Mr. Bagman to the stadium now. Harry stands to applause from the Gryffindor table, and the Weasleys and Hermione all wish him luck. He heads out of the Great Hall with Cedric, Fleur, and Victor, and when Bagman asks how he's feeling, he can honestly say that he's okay. They walk onto the Quidditch field, which is now unrecognizable, with a 20-foot-high hedge running around the edge of it. There's a gap right in front of them that reveals a dark and creepy passage into the maze. As the stands begin to fill, Hagrid and Professors McGonagall, Moody, and Flitwick walk into the stadium, wearing large red stars on their hats and, in Hagrid's case, his moleskin vest. Professor McGonagall says they will be patrolling the outside of the maze, and if any of them wish to be rescued, they must send up Red Sparks and one of them will go get him. Bagman sends off the patrollers and then points his wand at his throat and says Sonoris. He announces that the third and final task of the Triwizard Tournament is about to begin. He reminds them that Cedric Diggory and Harry Potter are tied in first place with 85 points each. Victor Crum is in second with 80 points, and Fleur Delacour is in third. He tells Harry and Cedric to go on his whistle, and after a short blast, the two hurry into the maze.
1: The movie section starts out on a view of a crowd in stadium seats, cheering, clapping, and predominantly holding up signs in support of Cedric Diggory. There is fanfare, and the camera pans over the audience, showing several students playing brass instruments, conducted by Professor Flitwick. The camera zooms out, showing a grassy portion of the arena, as Amos Diggory runs out of an opening beneath the crowd and waves before gesturing back towards the doorway as his son emerges. Cedric looks all around at his fans as he walks towards his father, followed by Fleur de Lacour. The rest of the Beauxbatons girls perform a cheer in French for her. Then the camera cuts back to the band, to a cheering Malfoy, Goyle, and Crab who has crumb written on his forehead, before cutting back to the arena doorway as Crumb and Karkaroff walk out. They are followed by Dumbledore and Harry, the latter looking extremely nervous. Dumbledore puts a comforting hand on his shoulder before gesturing with his head for Harry to join the other champions. As the audience continues cheering and clapping, Dumbledore approaches the podium, waves his hand, and then points his wand to his throat to magnify his voice as he yells for silence. The fanfare tapers off with the cheering as everyone sits down to listen. Dumbledore explains that earlier that day Professor Moody placed the Triwizard Cup deep within the maze and is the only one who knows where it is. The crowd cheers loudly for their respective champions as he tells them that since Mr. Diggory and Mr. Potter are tied for first, they will be the first to enter the maze, followed by Mr. Crumb. This draws more cheers for Crumb and Karkaroff tries to get a chant going. Miss Delacour will be the last to go in and the first person to touch the cup will be the winner. The staff will be patrolling the perimeter of the maze, and at any point a contestant wishes to withdraw, they need only to send up red sparks with their wands. He then calls for the contestants to gather around, and as they huddle together, he informs them that in the maze, they won't find dragons or creatures of the deep, but rather something even more challenging, because people change in the maze. He tells them to find the cup if they can, but to be wary, as they may just lose themselves along the way. He then gestures for them to spread out and prepare themselves, and the crowd begins to cheer again. Harry approaches the maze and stands next to Mad-Eye Moody, as Amos hugs Cedric and wishes him good luck. Harry and Cedric acknowledge each other with nods, and Dumbledore again calls for the count of three, but before he can count past one, Filch fires the cannon. Dumbledore shakes his head and Harry turns towards the nearest maze opening. Moody places his hand on his shoulder and pats it encouragingly before turning back towards the crowd. As Harry begins his trek into the maze, Moody looks back at him and surreptitiously points the first direction he should turn. Harry smiles and looks into the maze as Dumbledore watches with a slightly suspicious expression on his face. When Harry looks back towards the crowd one more time, he sees the hedges magically move together, closing off the entrance and bringing about darkness.
0: So... Before we can actually compare the book to the film, we have to talk about everything in the first half of this book chapter that the movie left out completely.
1: And then we will get to talk a little bit about the things that are similar. However, we will have to conclude this section talking about the extra
0: stuff that the movie added in. Of course. Like Like we we do. do. (laughs) But starting with the book... Harry's filled Ron and Hermione in on everything that he learned from Dumbledore and from inside the pensive. Mm-hmm. He also sent a letter to Sirius about it, too, because he promised he would. Keep him informed. It's his thing. Yeah. And they stay up late into the night talking everything over, and now Harry can finally understand what Dumbledore means about having your head so full of thoughts that you need a pensive to siphon them off in. Mm-hmm. So it only took him a night, apparently. That's pretty good for Harry. (laughs) I have to wonder if maybe he knew before and it wasn't until he, like, physically experienced it again that the connection happened.
1: I'm sure it's something along those lines. Yeah, Yeah.
0: Ron's super nervous since Dumbledore has flat out said that he thinks Voldemort is getting stronger. Mm -hmm. Or as Ron says, you know who. And he's also like, I can't believe he trusts Snape even after knowing that he was a Death Eater, which is fair that's pretty damn fair yeah yeah for sure Hermione has actually just been sitting with her forehead in her hands not saying anything for about 10 minutes (laughs) she finally resurfaces and just goes Rita Skeeter and Ron's like how the fuck are you worrying about her right now like you know who's getting stronger Mm -hmm. and you're worrying about Rita garbage Skeeter and Hermione's just like no I'm not worried about her in this moment I'm just making this connection here because She told me that she knew things about Ludo Bagman that would make my hair curl when we were in the three broomsticks. Is this what she meant? Hmm. Knowing that he passed information on to a Voldemort supporter. Yeah. Seems likely. I mean, that seems pretty on point. She also mentions the fact that Winky said... That Ludo Bagman was a bad wizard. And if Crouch was that upset about him getting off for passing information to Voldemort's followers, it's entirely possible that he came home and talked about it and Winky heard. That's true. So could be. And Ron's just over here like, yeah, but Bagman didn't pass the information on purpose because naturally he has to defend the person that Hermione is talking against.
1: Well, yeah, that's kind of how he's going with this whole book.
0: Right. (laughs) Especially if it's Victor. Right. <laughs> and Hermione just shrugs. So Ron turns back to Harry and is like, and Fudge thinks that Madame Maxime attacked Crouch? And Harry's just like, well, yeah, only because Crouch disappeared near the Bobatons' carriage. Not because he actually thinks she did it. But this was enough to make Ron actually consider if she did it. Right. And he's like, well, she definitely has giant blood and does not want people to know it. Guy, And that's exactly what Hermione does. She's just like, okay, but look what happened to Hagrid. Do you think she needs that shit? I'd say I was big bone too if it was me. True. Very true. So she then looks at her watch and she's just like, oh shit, we haven't practiced at all. And it's super (laughs) late. Got a little distracted. Just a little. (laughs) So she goes into bossy Hermione mode and says Harry needs to get a good night's sleep and they're going to have to work extra hard tomorrow. When they get back up to their dormitory, everyone else is already asleep. And as Harry and Ron get ready for bed, Harry looks over at Neville. And it just makes him think again about everything he learned about Neville's parents Mm -hmm. and his situation. And he kept his word to Dumbledore. He didn't mention it to Ron or Hermione at all.
1: But that's got to feel really weird, knowing that you know something about a person and they don't know that
0: you know. Right. But I think he was also more focused on the fact that that's possibly worse than just having dead parents? Yeah. Because he gets a lot of sympathy for his parents being dead and him being an orphan. Mhm. But he thinks that Neville deserves it more.
1: Well, and you know what's worse is it not having any chance of being near them or being able to be near them but having them not know who the hell you are. Right. Are you actually near them?
0: Yeah. Is that more torturous at least Harry knows. Yeah. There's no mystery left in there. Are Neville's parents ever going to be okay? Will they know him again one day? Because there is a point when hope hurts. Yes. Oh, yeah. There really is.
1: And I have to think, I mean, Neville's young, but I have to think he's probably hit the point of hope being painful numerous times. Right. In his life by now.
0: And we're for sure going to end up talking more about this later on. Yes. Ickle Neville. Poor Ickle Neville. But he gets into bed himself thinking about this and feels this rush of hatred towards the people who tortured Mr. and Mrs. Longwadham. I feel like that's normal. Yeah. And he remembers the crowd jeering as the Dementors dragged away Barty Crouch Jr. and his other companions Mm -hmm. that at this point are unnamed. And he completely understands why they were jeering like he wants to jeer right now too. Yeah. If he could go back in that memory, he probably would, jeer.
1: Right. Right along with everyone.
0: But then he also remembers that the screaming boy, Barty Crouch Jr., died less than a year later after that. Yeah. And then he instead decides that this is just all Voldemort's fault.
1: You know, that's a good way to go.
0: Right. (laughs) I've actually gotten into discussions with people on, like, the Harry Potter fan pages and stuff where a lot of people want to blame Dumbledore Mm -hmm. for the things that happen to Harry and say that he manipulated them and everything. And I'm like, it's all Voldemort's fault. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yes, there are definite ways that Dumbledore could have handled it better, but he's even willing to admit that.
1: Yeah. It's all Voldemort's fault. It all falls onto Voldemort. It really does.
0: Somebody was trying to say that it was Dumbledore's fault because he used a baby as a pawn to beat Voldemort. And I was just like, Dumbledore is not the one who brought him into the mix. Yeah, that was one hundred percent Voldemort. That was his choice. His fault.
1: That was entirely his choice, and that was the fate he decided for himself. Essentially.
0: So good job, good job, Harry. You know who's the bad guy here, right? You know who's the bad guy, as opposed to you know who's (laughs) the bad guy. That's funny. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs)
1: It's the same sentence both ways. I
0: love it. I know it's great. Anyway. Next morning, next several weeks, basically, Mm -hmm. Hermione and Ron are supposed to be studying for their exams, but they're putting more effort into helping Harry prepare for the final task, which is amazing. I don't know how they're doing it all. And when Harry points this out to them, Hermione actually says, oh, well, at least we'll get top marks in defense against the dark arts. Wow. That's how serious she is taking this shit for her friend. That's friendship, right yeah, there. Yeah, she put her friend's safety over exams. Yeah, that's very unhermione, but it shows her growth mm-hmm. over the years. I think so too. Mm-hmm. Ron also says that it's good training for when they're all Aurors, even though Moody no. never told him he should. He didn't get that out of boy. Oh, Ron, you're just crossing those fingers hard,
1: aren't yeah, you? He buddy? Just, he's
0: just hopping on that train and hoping <laughs> it works out. <laughs> He's hoping to get a job by association. (laughs) We'll talk more about that then. But by the time it does happen, he's pretty much earned it. Oh, yeah. So. Definitely. Anyway, it's June. And now they're getting closer and closer to the task. So naturally, everybody in the castle is super tense and super excited.
1: Both very adrenaline powered feelings. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So imagine that paired with hormones. Oh, dear.
0: Mm -hmm. No, thank you. Harry's practicing hexes at every single moment that he can. So if he's not in class, he's practicing hexes. Mm -hmm. He's going to be prepared this time. Yep. And he is. Plus, as Moody mentioned before, this isn't his first time getting past monstrous creatures and enchanted barriers. Yep. So this is... Not his first rodeo. No, this is his task. He is Mm -hmm. ready. For sure. Professor McGonagall kept walking in on them, practicing their hexes in various places around the castle. <laughs> and finally got so tired of it, she was just like, just use my classroom. At least I'll know that's where you are. <laughs> I have to wonder if they ever accidentally like hit her with a hex. <laughs> right. <laughs> she opens the door and all of a
1: sudden she gets tossed backwards. Impediment. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> Which is the curse that Harry's working on now, the impediment curse to slow things down. Mm -hmm. He also masters the Reductor Curse, which blows holes in things. Sure. And the four point spell, which basically works like a compass whenever you do that spell. It's all apparently the enchantment is to just say point me and it points north. Well, that's simple enough. Yeah. The one spell that he's having a little bit of trouble with is the shield charm. Mm-hmm. He can cast it, but Hermione managed to shatter it with a well-placed jelly-legs jinx. And he actually had to wobble around the classroom for 10 minutes while she looked up the counter curse. <laughs> I would have really loved to see that. I would have loved to see all of this. Right?
1: I wish we could have seen every last jinx and hex, honestly.
0: They didn't show us enough of the actual magic charms and jinxes and hexes. No, And then when they did show them to us, it was flashing lights and people flying backwards. Yeah, it was. We didn't get to see the funny ones. It was pretty crap. Yeah. Anyway, Hermione is super happy about all of the progress that he's made, and she's sure that some of these spells are going to come in handy. And at this point, Ron interrupts them and is like, look at Nazi Von Douchebag out there. And he points out the window. And Douchebag, the second, is down on the grounds talking into his hands. He's got Hmm. them cupped together holding him up to his mouth, and he's talking into them. Hmm. Which to Harry looks like he's using a walkie-talkie. Yeah. But Hermione's just like, those don't work here. It can't be that. Whatever, let's just go work on the shield charm some more.
1: Okay, but what about two cans with a string between them?
0: That would probably work. I'm sure that's low-tech enough. Right. But that's not what he was doing. (laughs) Well, damn. And at this point, Sirius is now sending daily owls... Pretty much every single one of them is just like, focus, Harry. You got to get through this task. Ignore everything that's happening outside the walls of Hogwarts. Those are not your responsibility. You can't change them. Don't even try. Task. <laughs> Third task. Final task. Focus. 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 Focus.
1: So it was basically like the letters that Harry was sending
0: to Sirius, but with less ham. At this point, it's becoming a spammogram <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> The closer they get to June the 24th, the day of the third and final task, Harry is actually starting to feel nervous, but it's nothing compared to how he felt for the first and second tasks Mm -mm. when he was super unprepared.
1: I was going to say, he had no idea what the fuck he was
0: doing. Not even a little bit. Mm -mm. On the actual morning of the third task, everybody is so excited at breakfast. It's just really noisy. Understandable. Yeah. Yeah. And when the post owls arrive, he gets a good luck card from Sirius, which is actually just a piece of parchment folded over with a muddy paw print on the front of it. Oh, How cute is that? Why didn't we get this? I know! We didn't even get Sirius.
1: We got weird firehead Sirius. <sighs> firehead.
0: Hermione also gets her morning copy of the Daily Prophet. And this, oh, slapstick! This has a literal spit take in it, and they didn't think they needed to include this. Well, you know, they already had Harry just dribble pumpkin juice down his face. But it would have been fantastic to see Hermione take a nice big drink out of her goblet of pumpkin juice and then open the newspaper and just spit it everywhere. Well, yeah. Like, couldn't you just see her accidentally spraying Ron and his reaction to it? I imagine something along the lines of when... Bloody hell! (laughs) Bloody hell.
1: Or something along the lines of when he got drooled on by fluffy i was gonna say
0: drooled on or when harry got troll bogeys on his wand (laughs) but yeah so she spits her pumpkin juice everywhere and then immediately tries to pretend like it's nothing Mm -hmm. (laughs) so believable hermione (laughs) ron immediately snatches the newspaper from her but then starts going it's nothing harry it's absolutely nothing (laughs) 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 nothing to see here move along And this especially fails because Malfoy chooses this moment to shout from the Slytherin table about Potter's scar and wondering if he's going to go berserk on them. I mean, give it a few minutes, Malfoy. (laughs) Right? Harry, of course, is just like, article now. Mm Mm-hmm. Gimme. What are you hiding from me? And Ron reluctantly gives it to him. And Harry opens it up and sees this giant-ass headline that says, Harry Potter, Disturbed and dangerous
1: yes because nothing screams disturbed and
0: dangerous like harry potter well i mean according to this article nothing does because harry is just i mean he collapses all the time because of pain in his scar all the time all the time constantly specialists think that it's possible but some also think that he could just be doing it for attention there you go. I mean, maybe the curse addled his brains, but he could just want attention. He could just be whining like a bitch. I'm Harry fucking Potter, the boy who lived. Look at me. <laughs> look at me. I'm the bee's fucking knees. Yeah. Pay attention to me. Mm. She also interviewed Nazi Von Douchebag II, who... Shares that Potter can speak Parseltongue and mentions that there were a whole bunch of attacks that happened a couple years ago on some of the students and everybody thought Potter was behind him but it was super hushed up, so they don't really know. Except everybody knows. Right. Everybody does, come on. He also mentions that Harry has befriended werewolves and giants. And clearly he's dangerous and disturbed. No, then the article then includes some information about how dangerous giants and werewolves are and how people who interact with them are just completely untrustworthy. And she concludes the article saying that Albus Dumbledore should surely consider whether such a boy should be allowed to compete in the Quad Wizard Tournament as Potter may resort to the dark arts in a desperation to win. Wow,
1: that's digging right there.
0: Harry actually takes this article pretty well. He just folds it back up, says, She's gone a bit off me. That's one way to take it. Yeah. Sure. Ron wants to know how Skeeter could have known that his scar hurt him during divination. Hmm. And Harry's just like, What? Well, I, I opened the window. Which just makes Hermione go, you were at the top of the North Tower. Nobody's going to hear you at the top of the North. I don't care if the window's fucking open. Nobody's going to. The top of the North Tower, Harry, what are you talking about? (laughs) And he's just like, well, I don't know. You're the one who's supposed to be researching magical methods of bugging. And she starts to say that she's been trying to. And just like, freeze frame. I feel like this was a light bulb moment. Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Somebody did Lumos wand. A Lumos (laughs) wand pops over her head. And she gets this extremely dazed look. Just like glaze over eyes. Stares off into space. Just absentmindedly runs her hand through her hair. And then she holds it up to her mouth. And Ron's just like, are you okay? (laughs) And Hermione's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I've had an idea. Library. And she just takes off running. She's insisting... That Rita is doing something she shouldn't be doing. She just needs to check in the library to make sure. But she thinks she's got her now. I mean, they should just
1: be used to Hermione running off and going to the library for no reason.
0: Well, there's apparently a reason here. Well, yes. So she runs off and Ron's just like, we have a history of magic exam in 10 minutes. And she's just gone. And he's (laughs) just like, damn, she must hate that woman if she's willing to risk missing an exam. Yeah, she's a garbage. Rita Garbage Skeeter. Mm -hmm. Ron also wonders what Harry's going to do during the exam because he's exempt from them because of being a champion. And this gets answered when McGonagall shows up and tells him that the champions have to meet right off the Great Hall to greet their families before the third task. Oh, that's awkward. And Harry is just like, OK, and then McGonagall leaves and he turns to Ron and he's just like, she doesn't actually think the Dursleys are going to show up, <laughs> do they? And Ron's just like, I have no idea, but I have to get to my exam. So Harry's just sitting there by himself watching the Great Hall empty and he sees Fleur, Cedric and Crum all go into this chamber off the Great Hall. And he's like, I don't want to do this. There's no way the Dursleys are going to be there. Nobody cares about me. And even if they
1: were, I don't want them there. Right.
0: She's like, (laughs) this is stupid. I don't want to go in there. It's just going to be like the reminder that I'm the orphan champion who's younger than everybody else. And oh, this sucks. And he's just sitting there like dragging his feet, not doing what he's supposed to do. And Cedric sticks his head out the door and he's like, Harry, come on, they're waiting for you they they and harry's just like what the fuck the dursleys actually showed up to this there's no fucking way and he goes in the chamber and actually sees that it's bill and mrs weasley who showed up to see him and wish him luck
3: that just makes me so happy
0: because mrs weasley was just like you're mine now (laughs) i claim you i claim you
1: (laughs) i do that with people too
0: (laughs) and he's just completely touched He's like, oh, my God, it was so nice of you to come see me. I thought that the Dursleys were going to be here. And Mrs. Weasley's face just, like, hardens. But she doesn't say anything. Yeah. Because she's pretty classy, usually.
1: Usually, yes. She's had moments, this book.
0: Moments! Harry, at this point, also notices that Fleur is eyeing Bill with great interest And does not seem to have an issue with his dangly fang earring or his long hair. I was going to say, she likes a nice ponytail. Apparently.
1: (laughs) Nice ginger
0: ponytail. Bill asks Harry to give him a tour of Hogwarts because he and his mom are both super excited to be back there. Yeah. And as they walk past Amos Diggory, who's obviously there to see Cedric, he makes a comment to Harry about not being as full of himself now that Cedric's caught up to him on points. And Harry's just like, what the fuck? (laughs) And Cedric's just like, ignore my dad. He hasn't gotten over the fact that Rita Skeeter made you out to be the only champion. And Amos is just like, well, he didn't try to correct it, did he? I mean, he did. Right? Seriously. And Molly's like, you know, Rita Skeeter goes out of her way to cause issues. You work for the ministry. You've seen this shit. And he starts to say something else, but Mrs. Diggory stops him, and instead they just walk away, which is probably wise. i say probably the right call. Well done, Mrs. Diggory. Yes. And the rest of the morning is very enjoyable because Harry just walks around the grounds with Mrs. Weasley and Bill, and they get to talk about all of the things that have changed at Hogwarts and the new things that are there, and... And then Harry asks how Percy's doing, and it turns out he's not doing so great. He's a little stressed out. They apparently hauled him in for questioning because now they doubt that Crouch has actually been writing those notes of instructions for him.
1: But I isn't he competent enough to know his superior's handwriting?
0: You'd think, but now they don't even think he's competent enough to fill in as the Quad Wizard Tournament judge. Obviously.
1: I wish we had this in the movie. I
0: know. But then they head back to the Great Hall for lunch. And at this point, they get to meet up with Ron and Hermione. And Ron's just like, what the fuck are you doing here? Except he does not say that to his mother. (laughs) Probably the right call. And she explains that they're just here to greet Harry before the tournament and wish him luck. And that it's nice to not have to cook for herself for once. She's so cute. (laughs) And then she asks Ron how his exam was, and he's just like, eh, it was fine. I couldn't remember a lot of the goblins' names, so I just made them up. I'm sure some of them would be correct. Yeah, probably. Mrs. Weasley then gives Hermione a very chilly hello. Just super stiff about it. And Harry's just like, uh, Mrs. Weasley, <laughs> you didn't believe that rubbish that Rita Skeeter wrote about me and Hermione, did you? Because she's not my girlfriend.
1: Especially after she
0: just admonished Amos Diggory. Exactly. So (laughs) Mrs. Weasley's just like, oh, of course I didn't. Of course I didn't. But she also becomes considerably warmer towards Hermione again. So. Well. She did kind of believe it. A little bit. She got a little mama bear about that one. We talked Mm. about that before. Yep. When Hermione and Ron go off to their next exams, Harry, Mrs. Weasley, and Bill get to walk around inside the castle during the afternoon. And then for the evening feast, they head back to the Great Hall. And this takes place right before the final task. And I've got to say, having to eat three full fucking meals before participating in a competition would just be torture.
1: I'd be hurling everywhere. Right. I don't know how he (laughs) ate
0: any of it. Yeah. This is pretty entertaining. Actually, I would have liked to see this as well, had the movie done any of the stuff that would have made this entertaining. (laughs) Because they now have Cornelius Fudge filling in as the fifth judge. Mm -hmm. So it's he and Ludo Bagman that are at the staff table. And somehow, and I like to believe that Dumbledore did this on purpose, but somehow Cornelius Fudge is sitting right next to Madame Maxime. I love that. (laughs) I love that so much. And she looks super pissed and is just like focusing on her plate. (laughs) And Fudge is not saying anything and is just like staring at his goblet like they're, yeah. just, they're both sitting in silence it just seems super awkward <laughs> I'm sure that she's well aware of what he accused her of oh yeah of course. maybe even he was dumb enough to do it to her face right oh my goodness he is that dumb so well I wouldn't put it past him like we were talking about puking everywhere mm-hmm. on top of that this being a special feast for the final task of the quad wizard tournament there are even more courses than usual of course there are so All of this extra food, making dinner last even longer, and Harry's just like, I'm too nervous to eat. (laughs) Let's just get this over with. But finally, the enchanted ceiling starts to fade. It's getting darker outside. It is nearing the time of the task to actually start. And Dumbledore stands up, and everybody falls quiet. I would love to point out that he stands up and everybody falls quiet. There is no him yelling for silence Mm -mm. like they think he needs to do in the movie. Yeah. None of that. None of that. He just stands up and everybody falls silent. And then he lets them know that in about five minutes they're going to make their way down to the Quidditch pitch. But the champions need to follow Mr. Bagman to the stadium now. Harry stands up and all of the Gryffindors applaud. The Weasleys and Hermione all wish him luck. Aww. And he heads out of the Great Hall with Cedric, Fleur, and Victor, and Bagman, who wants to know how he's feeling, of course. Of course. But Harry can honestly say that he's feeling okay. Like, he's definitely a little bit nervous. Well, of course. But the last couple of times that Backman asked him this question, he flat out lied. And this time he really is okay. He's ready. He knows what he's going to do. He's got a whole bunch of tricks up his sleeves. He's been studying for weeks. Yeah, he's ready. They walk onto the Quidditch field, which is now unrecognizable because the hedges are like 20 feet tall. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's a gap right in front of them that reveals a dark and creepy passage into the maze.
1: That sounds lovely. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But not a lick of it happened in the film. Shocking. Not a bit of it. We join our movie already in progress at the third and final task of the Quad Wizard Tournament. Looking out over the crowded stands, we see a number of yellow banners supporting Cedric Diggory, and also some blue banners in favor of Fleur de Liqueur. Well, she's pretty. She is. The Hogwarts Brass Band is playing while Professor Flitwick conducts them from a grassy clearing in front of the stands. I love that they made him basically the music teacher, too. Right. All thanks to that toad choir in the third movie. Right. <laughs> In a pre-game warm-up type of show, Amos Diggory runs out of the vomitorium beneath the crowd and does his best impression of a stage mom finally getting her moment of glory (laughs) before gesticulating back towards the doorway where his son emerges. Cedric looks all around at the crowd as he walks towards his father, probably
0: embarrassed as all hell by the man. Which is the closest the movie got to Amos being embarrassing about Harry and Cedric being tied yeah
1: but not at all the same thing
0: no not even kind of no the movie never showed that side of diggory at all
1: no well even when they first met yeah he was all nice to him and pleasure to meet you and not at all like it was in the book
0: yeah none of the comments about them being tied and cedric's beat him once before and Mm -hmm. sassiness no he was totally cool to harry no sass. Anti-sass, if you will. Anti-sass.
1: Next out of the gate is Fleur de la who is welcomed by the rest of the Beauxbatons girls performing a cheer in French for her. Because of course they do. <laughs> I mean, apparently that's all they're good for. Being an all-girls school is to cheer in they're French. They're
0: cheerleaders now. Yeah. They even had the arm movements and hip swishes. They were doing
1: the Macarena, for fuck's sake. It was
0: basically the Macarena.
1: I mean, it was the mid-90s, so... Fitting. It makes sense, I guess, but Jesus. We then get a lovely shot of Malfoy, Goyle, and Crabbe cheering in the stands while the latter of the three has crumb written across his
0: forehead. I kind of really wanted it to be backwards.
1: You know what? I actually had to pause it because from a quick glance, I thought the R was backwards. I
0: literally rewound it and checked again. I was like, I really want him to have written it backwards in the mirror.
1: Right. I agree. That's how you know somebody else did it for him. Because not only was it spelled right, it wasn't
0: backwards. It would have been kind of funny if it was spelled (laughs) (laughs) C-R-U-M-B. Backwards, though. Backwards,
1: of course. (laughs) Speaking of crumb...
0: We next see him emerging from the archway, followed
1: by Karkaroff.
0: It's interesting that they let Amos come. He's the only parent that's there. Yeah. And we'll talk later about why he's got to be there. But I wonder if they were like, you're from the ministry. We only have one headmaster of this school. So why don't you come support your son? Yeah. So that Dumbledore can walk with Harry.
1: Because he doesn't have parents. So
0: right. we don't have this option for right. him. Yeah. Maybe that's what it is. That's my theory.
1: Or they could have just like... Had Sprout do it as his head of house. Something. I don't know. I mean, we know
0: why he was there, but we'll we'll get to it.
1: We're getting there. Like we said, Dumbledore and Harry make their way out onto the stadium last. Harry's looking a little bit like he may have used the vomitorium in a much more literal sense. (laughs) Yeah. And Dumbledore tries to comfort Harry, but probably fails pretty hard and just nods for him to go join the other champions.
0: He gives them that shoulder clap.
1: Yeah. Super comforting. Literally no one was comforted by that
0: No, foot. no. It made Dumbledore feel
1: better. You know, that's I guess that's the important thing. He tried. Mm-hmm. That's all you can do sometimes. As the raucous noise coming from the stands continues, Dumbledore steps up to the podium, waves his hand, and then points his wand at his throat to magnify his voice so he can properly tell everyone to
0: sit the hell down and shut the hell up. Because apparently, movie Dumbledore is not as omnipotent as book Dumbledore.
1: Not at all. But it works, at least. The crowd quickly acquiesces, and Dumbledore begins telling everyone what's what. He tells the crowd that the Quad Wizard Cup has been hidden in the maze by the most impartial person here, Mad-Eye Moody. (laughs) the the man who has shown exactly zero favoritism this entire year
0: now in the book he is also the one who put the cup into the maze but we don't learn this until later Mm -hmm. he also technically has been super impartial
1: to everyone else
0: like looking on yes for all intents and purposes he appears to have been Mm -hmm. completely impartial but we know different (laughs) And we will learn different shortly. Yes, we will. We're getting there. (laughs) We're finally nearing the end of this book, Katie. Oh, thank God. (laughs) And movie.
1: Thank God, even more. Dumbledore continues on saying that since Cedric and Harry are tied, they will get the head start into the maze, followed by Crumb and then Fleur. The crowd cheers loudly for their respective champions. Each section using noisemakers and chants to show their
0: support. Is that when Karkaroff literally tries to get the crowd to yell "Crumb" or did that happen before?
1: Yeah, that's when that happens. He's like,
0: "Crumb, Crumb, like, Crumb," and nobody
1: starts chanting "Crumb." It was so awkward. Nobody follows through. It
0: was so awkward. Crumb, Crumb, Crumb.
1: But you know but what? But Crumb,
0: guys. But Crumb. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Crumb 75? No. (laughs) Yeah, it's really sad, but you're kind of like happy to see it. It was funny. Because Karkaroff's a dickhead, so there's that. Dumbledore states that the first person to touch the cup will be the winner, and the staff will be patrolling the perimeter of the maze in case anyone decides to bitch out and leave the maze
0: in shame and embarrassment. So there's a few things in here mm-hmm. that are similar to the book yes but in the book the champions don't get to make this big grand entrance they're actually there before the crowd shows up mm-hmm. then hagrid professor McGonagall, professor moody and professor flitwick come into the stadium mm-hmm. and they've got these large red stars on their hat except for hagrid he's wearing his on the back of his moleskin vest sure but it's meant to mark them as the official patrollers. Ah. And I imagine that it's a red star because Professor McGonagall says that they're going to be patrolling outside the maze. And if any of them need to be rescued, they must send up red sparks. So I think the stars tie mm-hmm. into the sparks. That's my thought about it. Sure. It's makes like sense. the patroller uniform. <laughs> so there's that. If they bitch out, they have people patrolling that are from the staff. Mm-hmm. It's similar. Yeah. But it's Bagman who's making the announcements, not Dumbledore, as it's been like that the whole movie.
1: Bagman. Bagman. James Corden. Oh, yeah. That guy. He
0: magically magnifies his voice with Sonoris. Because unlike Dumbledore, he needs Sonoris. I mean, Dumbledore still needs it to be heard. He just doesn't need it to get him quiet. True. Dumbledore just has that respect that when he's going to say something, people listen. Yeah. Bagman might. No. they didn't get to show us that in the movie anyway true bagman magically magnifies his voice to let everyone know that the third and final task of the quad wizard tournament is about to begin <sighs> <sighs> and like in the movie mm-hmm. harry and cedric are tied in first place though they do specify that it's with 85 points each Mm-hmm.
1: which was our trivia question
0: They also say that Victor Crumb is in second place with 80 points and Fleur Delacour is in third place with no mention of her points probably because it's embarrassing how few she comparatively has. Well, I mean, she's only there because she's a girl, so... That was probably a penalty to begin with. Pretty much. Anyway, Bagman then tells Harry and Cedric to go on his whistle and after a short blast, the two hurry into the maze. The
1: movie clearly needs to include more details here. When Dumbledore then calls for the contestants to join him in a cuddle, puddle, huddle.
0: (laughs) Cuddle, puddle, huddle. That's
1: fun to say, isn't it? It is
0: fun to say. I'm going to have to find a way to work that into... Daily life? Yeah. Hell yeah. Next time we see all of our patrons, we are going to have a cuddle, puddle, huddle. We are having a cuddle, puddle, huddle so hard. It's not going to be a subtle cuddle, puddle, huddle. No. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. I didn't mean to befuddle you with my subtle pitch. <laughs> I'm moving on. <laughs> Before it gets a little too muddled. God damn it.
1: You know, this is why I don't make puns around you, because you always gotta one up me.
0: That's alright. Let's just keep moving, get on the shuttle.
1: Yes. Eat a dick. What, you don't
0: have a rebuttal?
1: Ellen? <laughs> Do you got any more? Should I I might actually be out now. So he asks the contestants to join him in a cuddle puddle huddle as he explains to them that there isn't actually anything scary in the maze. Just each other, basically. Which makes for a really lame maze. Yeah. But, as it turns out, they blew their entire monster budget on the dragons and merpeople, so it is what it is. New
3: all. New
1: all. He tells them to find the cup if they can, but be cautious because they may just lose their damn minds as well as the tournament. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a pep talk if I've ever heard one. It was just so
0: lame. It really was. And we haven't even gotten into the actual maze. This was just the intro to It's like they were prepping you for the lameness <laughs> of the maze. <laughs> Which we will talk more about next week. Like, no, y'all don't get it. <laughs> It's bad in there. And it doesn't even make sense that you may just lose yourself. Yeah. We're going to talk more about that later, too. but Ugh. Ugh. Moving on. The
1: cheering begins anew as he then gestures for them to scatter and stretch because you don't want to pull a hammy in the maze. Harry approaches it and stands next to Mad-Eye Moody as Amos and Cedric hug and father wishes son good luck.
0: Touching moment.
1: Touching moment. Aww. Harry and Cedric share a respectful nod, and Dumbledore again calls for the count of three, but Filch suffers another bout of premature evacuation when his trusty cannon fires a millisecond after one.
0: His premature evacuation is a real problem for him.
1: I mean, he doesn't seem to think so. He just looks around like, what? It happens to all guys. As Dumbledore just shakes his head and Harry turns towards the nearest maze opening. Moody places his hand on his shoulder and pats it encouragingly before turning back towards the crowd. As Harry begins to trek into the maze, he glances back to see Moody sneakily pointing him towards the right direction. Yep, no
0: bias at all. Also, considering how this stands... ...are positioned around the whole maze. There's no way that people didn't see him do that.
1: Right? He was not as sneaky as he thinks he was.
0: I used the word surreptitiously in the (laughs) summary, and it wasn't. No. I did that more out of irony. Yeah. (laughs) The real
1: irony is that that wasn't the right way to go anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Harry smiles and looks into the maze as Dumbledore looks like he wishes a bitch would...
0: Yeah, this is interesting because Dumbledore in the book did not suspect Moody at this point, but they're starting to show it a little early in the movie. Now, granted, they already blew the whole thing and told us with the tongue flick that Moody's super sus, but... Yeah.
1: However, now Dumbledore's on to him, maybe, kind of, sort of. What? Yeah. Yeah. When Harry looks back toward the crowd one more time, the opening in the hedges closes up and leaves him with an inner monologue singing Alone
0: again, naturally.
1: (laughs) And that'll bring us to the
0: end of our movie section. We will pick this up with the official action of the Quad Wizard Tournament Final Task next week. And for the movie, I put action in air
1: quotes. Definitely.
0: I thought my voice caressed those air quotes nicely, but (laughs) Katie physically did them for me. Somebody had to.
1: <laughs> For this section, there's still no new actors, so we'll get to some new ones eventually, but not right now. Not <laughs> yet. Nope. It'll just bring us right to our Potter pondering. Mm-hmm. Which is, how do you feel about everything from this book section that was left out of the movie? Especially the stuff about Rita Skeeter and Hermione's quest to find out how she's spying on
0: people to write her horrible articles. Yeah, because they really left all of it out. There's none in there. Yeah. We don't even know ever from the movies. No. That there's something sus about Rita Skeeter. Not at all. The movies just made her garbage.
1: Which I mean she is, but. Which she is. It's true. But a totally different kind of garbage.
0: Yeah. So let us know your thoughts. Find the post on our Facebook page or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. We really look forward to reading and hearing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Amore Devaney. She writes, I'm a Gryffindor. My wand is Rowan Wood with a dragon heartstring core, 12 and three quarters inches with rigid flexibility. And my Patronus is a lynx. I still can't believe it's been 20 years. Like what the heck? I still remember going to see the first movie and all the others. It's so crazy. My cousin, who was reading the books, took me to see the first movie in theaters. I was six. I fell in love and here I am 20 years later, even more in love with Harry Potter. Aww. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us. It has been quite a ride these past 20 years. Yes, it
1: really has. Thank you so much. And if any of you other Keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at JustKeepRolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us.
0: Or you can message it to us over social media.
1: Which brings us to this week's trivia question, which is, What is the first creature that Harry comes in contact with in the maze? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word,
0: hashtag not foliage, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling@gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it.
1: Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as
0: early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron
1: and get extra perks on patreon.com justkeeprolling. As
0: always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 31, the third task, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep keep rolling. rolling.